Welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development Podcast. I'm your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about the mid-season finale, uh, the end of the first batch of episodes, episode 8 of season 5, which is called Premature Independence, uh, which I think is a reference to Buster being taken from prison. I think that's what that's that's referencing. Um, It was written by Mitch Hurwitz and Jim Vellani and directed, as all these episodes were, by Troy Miller. And obviously it was first broadcast on the 29th of May 2018, along with all the other batches. Uh, Joining me to talk about this today is Neighbor. Hello. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, we opened the episode straight away with Job um, talking to his three guys who work at the Laguna Closet Conversions, setting up the trick that is, you know, going to basically end up kind of dominating the second half of season five it's really weird how this kind of trick ends up becoming so big um or i should say this illusion um and there's a whole thing even at the beginning of this episode where the the narrator doesn't kind of explain how he's ended up buying this particular business uh obviously he'd also bought um a trophy store earlier in the season so that he could kind of impress his dad by giving him a trophy um so he just keeps buying stores and it, i don't know it's, it's kind of weird uh, i also think we, this is where we get a shot of the like the the mini mall where this is and we see that the 90 minute teeth has closed down <laughs> um which is a nice payoff for that gag um yeah and Buster is in prison, um, and it, while he's in prison, he's watching Two and a Half Men, uh, a show that he previously wouldn't have watched because he was afraid of the Half Man. Um, and the weird thing about that is that is a that's literally a joke from Family Guy, where they do like you know we now return to Two and a Half Men, and you see two guys and a, a guy who's been cut in half just screaming. Um, so you know that's <laughs> <laughs> like that's like kind of a I guess that's the most obvious joke about Two and a Half Men. Um, and there's a there's a nice little weird kind of inside thing where they they you know the the they say that uh, Lucille is like the mother of two and a half men, which I get. I mean, I guess Jessica Walters is a little bit like um, I'm trying to remember the name of the actress who played the mother on that, uh, whose name escapes me. But they are pretty much kind of like the same age and the same actress, kind not the exact same actress, but they kind of act in a similar way. Uh, and obviously, I think Two and a Half Men started like the same year that Arrested Development did as well. So I think that's kind of an inside joke on People that. People probably well. said that a lot, but I love a meta. I love a show referring to their character as being like a character from another contemporary show. Like, and, and, <laughs> and then that other person is like, wow, she really is like the mother from Two and a Half Men. <laughs> yeah. But, but I also love how that pays off where he says, uh, you know, I screamed, turn it off when they showed the Half Man. And then uh, Buster says, like they need another reason to call me and mom cuts in with half man and he says john crier <laughs> yeah that that that's a nice yeah it's funny because like obviously i guess if you if you've never watched two and a half men or don't even know where it is all of these jokes probably mean absolutely nothing mm. um but i do like it's at least a slightly more contemporary reference than some of the other stuff that they've put in this show sugarfoot so. um Yes. <laughs> and, of course, you know, the Annette story is almost at an end. I, I, I kind of like I kind of like how, um, you know, you know, maybe he's planning another kind of like well, I can't remember. I think she calls it like a, a clean and dash or something like that. Where she's basically tidying everything up. and She's getting ready to leave um, because she well, she's basically going to have sex with um, Stan Sitwell. Um, that is like because of that she's basically gonna have to ditch this entire um, thing Um, and then you know we kind of get a bit of a diversion as Tobias goes to Mexico trying to find um, Lindsay Uh, there's a nice little conversation between him and 
uh, Lucille where she where he says he's going to lie to Lindsay um, and Lucille kind of bribes him by saying that she'll make him part of the family. Again, this story is going on and I don't even know why. But um, And it turns out, obviously, that it isn't Lindsay. It's actually Debris who's pretending to be Lindsay. <laughs> um, because, and I, I mean, I love, this is probably one of my favourite quotes where she's like, you know, Marky doesn't see me for who I am. Which she means both literally and kind of like spiritually. Um, in that he literally cannot tell her because, you know, he's face blind. And I like how Tobias sells it to Lucille later in the episode where, she, where he says she's just done a three-month engagement in front of a sold-out, face-blind <laughs> individual. <laughs> and it's such a it's such a weird kind of way to try and sell the idea of Debris being a replacement for Lindsay. Um, well, I also thought, I did think maybe had a few really funny lines in that scene before with the, with the old folks home. I love how they, the narrator introduces her as a sexagenarian who wasn't feeling very <laughs> sexagenaric because I didn't know what that meant, but apparently it's a person that's in their 60s. <laughs> like, yes, but, uh, but it sounds, you know, worse. Uh, but And I also like her line, I'll miss you most of all, neighbor's pain medication. And then, uh, <laughs> and then when she just randomly says, the world is melting because people drive cars or Hillary should continue to roam free. I guess I'll miss you too, <laughs> Fox and friends. You know, <laughs> like, uh, like she like really, yeah. uh, you know, kind of, got embedded in that culture uh yeah oh yeah and then on the on the tv when showing fox's friends the the what it says is coming up how small is little marco (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well and uh, obviously we also get a little bit of kind of buster he's in prison but he's going to be in the parade and he's going to take part in the keystone cops float um, and then we have the the July second, the July fourth parade that's happening on July second to avoid the July third fireworks for July fourth, uh, which again is just this kind of long extended joke about uh, which kind of is the same as like you know Cinco de Cuatro, um, and you know kind of people trying to have Cinco de Cuatro a day early because you know the Mexicans have taken Cinco de Cuatro like I have Cinco de Mayo and there's a whole kind of thing of stuff gradually getting moved forward in uh, in Newport Beach just so that people can't do it um and you know we also get i mean you know the kind of parade makes up most of the bulk of this episode uh there's some nice stuff with michael trying to get you know um buster let out of prison you know he's found the evidence that lucille 2 might be alive but of course it turns out that's not really evidence that lucille 2 is alive um and so you know uh we get a little bit of uh, lottie dottie um deciding that she will you know um let buster go but of course uh you know we we uh, we find out about the the i mean i like how this was set up because we we've kind of had the whole stuff with imagine in season four so the fact that michael spent his imagine books on these wigs and it ends up being you know ron and brian go to mexico is why we've got this kind of evidence to free buster um is it was nicely set up kind of in the first few episodes and this is a this is kind of a really good payoff to that um, and of course, Oscar then breaks Buster out uh, using the stair car because obviously this is the end of a season, and so somebody must break out of prison using the stair car. Uh, that is pretty much what always happens, um, and that oh, is where yeah. the episode ends. Um, you know, well, yeah, well, the end of season one and the end of season two both finished with stair car uh, escapes, um, and so that is where the season ends. Um, you know, um, well, the middle of the season ends. Um, and we, we also get kind of the, we, the payoff for the closet trick, um, which is, you know, we I, I like as well how the kind of the uh, John Beard and, um, you know, Job's uh, girlfriend, although obviously they haven't really done anything, um, you know, they 
they explain the trick as it's happening. So they, they kind of say, you know, it looks like the game is, magician is going into a messy closet and the, the you know, the straight, magi- straight magician is going into, no, sorry, the straight magician is going into the messy closet and the gay magician is going into uh, a tidy closet. And like, they kind of keep explaining it. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny because like, and then we have like the protesters who kind of come out and then, <laughs> and the narrator even says, this issue pretty much was resolved a few years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> like, so I kind I kind of like, how it again it kind of makes the sh- like the fact that the narrator is saying this issue's been resolved a few years kind of emphasizes the fact that this is set a few years ago and you know but th- that's when the issue was a bit more of a you know like it was a bit more of a thing that kind of so it's it's kind of a weird in joke about the timeline um yeah but yeah i mean i i kind of the stuff with um you know with uh with buster in prison like the fact that he's been arrested for the murder of um, you know Lucille too. Obviously, that is something that will end up kind of dominating the second half once we actually kind of get a trial. Um, but and and obviously it was something that was suggested due in season four as well. Like the the, the kind of the the on the next when they were like Buster gets arrested for murdering Lucille too. Obviously, they kind of had to pay that off. Um, but I think it's a bit disappointing because I like Buster when he's with the rest of the family. Um, but I think they had to do this because of Tony Hale's schedule again. Uh, what with the fact that he was on Veep, um, so but it's it's a little bit disappointing because I like when Tony Hale is interacting with the rest of the family because Buster kind of is a weirdo, but he feels not that weird when he's with the rest of the family. When he's by mm. himself and isolated, he seems a lot weirder than he is. Um, and I think that was kind of true with his episode in season four when he was with, um, you know, Terry Crews and his wife. And I can't even remember the name of those characters now. But when he was like kind of taken in by them, if that felt like super weird and like it made Buster seem even stranger than he is. Um, and and that's the same thing here in prison, like it, isolating Buster. I mean, obviously, the stuff between him and Lucille is always good. Uh, because their relationship is obviously terrible, um, but I, I think it's kind of it kind of makes things stand out a bit more when Buster is by himself, and it makes the character maybe a little bit less sympathetic when he's contrasted with the rest of the family. He's he kind of he seems not quite as weird, you know. Like it's kind of understandable why he's like that. Um, but yeah, I do love all the, the the two and a half men jokes as well. They are it is quite funny that like, <laughs> like that like when Buster is you know in prison. I like the fact that he's deliberately doing stuff that he knows Lucille wouldn't want him to do. Um, you know, it's just, again, it's, it kind of speaks to their relationship that even when he's in prison and he knows his mother can't see him, he's still doing stuff that he knows she won't approve of. He touched a mouse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he says, I touched a mouse. And then she says, she's mad because he didn't apologize or something. And he says, he says, that's what I'm supposed to believe you're mad about. Not that I accused a murder or that I touched a mouse. (laughs) That's what I can. Yeah. I really like the joke where he had to get a new hand, so he got like kind yes. of a, like a person of color hand um, that's that's like a manual because it doesn't have like all the motors in it and stuff like that. But when Buster comes up to ask him, or uh, when Job comes up to ask him for a favor, and he sees he looks down and sees the hand, and then he grabs it and uh, and kind of pushes it into his chest and goes sup. <laughs> Like, but it's after he sees it. It's like he's trying to do like an African American greeting because of the hand. Uh, yeah, I, I think as well. You know, if I was Mitch Hurwitz and it was the year like two thousand and three or whatever, I would make a choice to not have Buster's hand be cut off because I feel like it it, it kind of makes his character all about his hand. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, the stuff in season four with him kind of getting you know like a military upgraded gigantic hand that was funny stuff. I like that. 
Um, and also, obviously, it was an excuse for Tony Hale to not have to wear kind of a hook thing. You could just put a gigantic hand over his normal hand. Um, but I think kind of the, the series of like different hands that he has um, in in this season is kind of... It's, I don't know, it just it doesn't feel like it's adding anything to the joke that he lost his hand. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that was a funny enough setup in season two. Um, but since then, I don't know that they found you know enough to do with it you know aside from having everybody scared of his hook and screaming and shouting um, but obviously the hook caused you know a bit of pain to Tony Hale so they've they've obviously just kind of had to find a series of different hands to put over the top of his hand so at that point it's like well what was even the point of the joke um you know uh but yeah so I, I don't know I, I I think that you know like I said having him separated from the rest of the family kind of I understand why they had to do it but it just you know for the kind of after the the jailbreak at the end of this episode we spend a lot of the first half of the next batch of episodes with that jailbreak kind of going on yeah. and it feels like they spread it out a little bit thin and it takes forever for you know the kind of for for basically for us to arrive at the trial that i think should have started the second half of those episodes off um but instead they kind of delayed it by a few episodes um so yeah and I, the kind of the stuff with the keystone cops is funny because obviously it makes um, maybe nervous when she sees Stan with a bunch of the Keystone cops because she doesn't realize who they are. Um, but I like that she kind of she recognizes them as police, but she says, you know, they were there with like the long coats and the, you know, like the hats. And so like she kind of but she doesn't realize that they don't look like modern policemen. She just thinks that old people have their own old looking policemen. They're um, senior senior. Guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the senior police. So I kind of I kind of like that gag. Uh, but again, like all that happens really is Stan Sitwell gets knocked over and that means, you know, Annette doesn't have to have sex. And so it, it doesn't really feel like it does that much in terms of the story. Like I say, I, f- I feel like they're relying on Stan Sitwell just a little bit too much, um, you know, in this in this kind of season. Um, mm-hmm. Although I do like that, you know, even after maybe packs everything up and he's about to leave, she just as she's walking out and looking at everything, she realizes she's just going to stay and just tell Stan it's over. And that's <laughs> that's that's her that's her resolution, like rather than trying to kind of do the honorable thing. Um, and I, I love as well how we get this exchange with, um, you know, George Michael and everything, you know, like he's some of the bad decisions he's made. And she's like, you know, where did you get that idea? And he goes, it was from you. He goes, it's oh, yeah. always you. <laughs> and then she goes, yeah, I did think it sounded like me. And I kind of I kind of like how she understands that, like, you know, bad advice sounds like her. I mean, that's probably one of my favorite little moments in the episode where, like, George Michael, you know, when she's like, why did you do that? And he's like, you, you told me to do it. Like that, like, I, I kind of like how she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. tell. It. Like, I, I just love that little exchange of her realizing that she's given him the bad advice and he went and followed it. Um, you know, which I, I, I know, I think it's a funny moment. Um, and then, of course, we get all to, to the stuff with all, you know, um, y- you know, Sally is calling out, you know, Lindsay, where is Lindsay Bluth? Which I think, again, has got to be like a huge meta joke within the show, uh, because obviously Portia de Rossi had basically retired from acting. Um, she was no longer acting. And then when they started season five, Mitch Hurwitz kind of persuaded her to come back. But she would only have to be in like one or two episodes and it was only going to be a couple of days work. So obviously she was kind of in the first episode, um, but they kind of green screened her in because um, she was on one side of the room and everybody else was on the other side of the room. and She clearly oh. wasn't interacting with them. Um, and so, you know, uh, the fact that they're, they're saying, where is she? And then they've kind of having debris 
um, as her replacement, which obviously when Tobias and Debris got together, she was the replacement for Lindsay. So, <laughs> so um, and then also obviously Lindsay replaced Debris in her relationship with Marky Bark. So, you know, there's, there's this kind of weird thing where, um, you know, this character is both a replacement in the TV show and then also a replacement, you know, within the kind of the actual production of the show. Um, so it's a kind of nice little, uh, a kind of a double layered joke. Um, and this is know, the last like, time we see Marky Bark, but but it's obviously not the actor. It's just the back of his head driving a car. And <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I the, the thing is as well, we also have, um, you know, uh, the return of Mar Bark, um, who is like, mm. you know, having people work for showers and stuff like that. Um, and so, <laughs> so it's, I, I mean, I was never a fan of her character when she was in the, the season four. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I don't know that she kind of like, it's, it's fun to see her here because, you know, obviously, um, you know, just the, the fact that she's kind of exploiting people, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things where I think the whole stuff with Marky Bark in season four, I kind of understood where they did it because of obviously the way that they were filming stuff. Um, but I don't know, like his whole kind of face blame thing. It's such a weird joke, but I mean, I liked, I kind of liked it in some episodes, but just having him kind of not being here is kind of weird, um, you know. But it's weird that they kind of go to Mexico to kind of tie this up, but they don't really tie up his story. He just kind of vanishes and that's it. Um, How many times has this show gone to Mexico? Like, it was going to Mexico in the original series, uh, too. You know, they went down there with Anne and Ice, and, like, they've been there so many times. I guess it's a thing when you're in Southern California, but... It's a lot of times to go down to Mexico for one scene and then be back immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the joke is it's not actually Mexico. Uh, the border is actually in the wrong place. So they're still actually in America. Oh, that's um, right. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, there's a whole thing as well about, you know, the, the, the again, the kind of the whole stuff with them building the wall and the land deal and the Mexican Romneys that have taken the land back. Um, and the kind of Lucille having to either have Lindsay win the election or lose the election, depending on whether or not they need the war built, is kind of a, a weird running joke that goes through all of this season, all the way up until the final episode, um, where, like, it's never quite clear, you know, like, the kind of, if they need the war built or they don't need the war built. Um, and at this point, they basically, they realise they haven't got the land, so they now need Lindsay to lose. Um, and, uh, you know, the use, I think that's probably why, she, you know, uh, um, Lucille is not really that bothered about um, the use of debris as the fake Lindsay because she now realizes they've got to lose. <laughs> um, and I like as well how when Tobias explains it, he's like, um, you know, under federal election law, we could fool the voters and, you know, it will lead up to 30 years in jail if she gets caught. And I kind of like how Debris is like, huh? Like, not realizing exactly what Tobias is talking about. But it's kind of funny that, like, he admits that basically what they're doing is fraud and that Debris could go to prison for it. Um, you <laughs> know, right. and it's it's kind of a long winded explanation, but I like how Tobias kind of knows the ins and outs of it. Um, and then. Obviously, that kind of goes sideways because Debris hides under a sheet and they have this wonderful scene where it's like she's being disrespectful to Muslims. She's, you know, um, standing up for Muslims. She's being, you know, she's standing up for ghosts. 
she's being disrespectful to ghosts. <laughs> and those are like the opinions that people are getting from, you know, debris in a sheet, basically. Um, uh, and of course, like the kind of the, the float crashes and she kind of falls off and uh, the wall falls down, <laughs> which I guess is like some kind I don't know. I feel like that's a joke about something. The fact that the wall is easily kind of knocked over. Um, well, it's a blue. And, well, <laughs> yes, yes. You, you've got to expect it. Um but, but I mean the kind of the main centerpiece I would say of this whole thing is the is the closet conversion trick, um, mm-hmm. you know, and in the in the kind of probably the weirdest thing in the entire season, um, they have Tony Wonder appear, um, but he isn't there. Uh, ben Stiller is obviously green screened, like where the float is. It's obvious that he's green screened onto the side where he's dancing. Um, and then when he's in the closet, uh, it's obvious that he's on a set somewhere and he's nowhere near the rest of the, the kind of the, the show. Um, and whenever kind of Job is talking to him, it's always over the shoulder from behind. Um, so we never see them in the same shot together. Um, and it's such a weird... I mean, I guess, you know, Ben Stiller was probably busy and maybe that's why he, he kind of wasn't available to be on set. Um, and obviously with green screen and everything these days and, you know, the te- they've got the technology, so I guess they just used it. Uh, they'd already used it a few times anyway earlier this season with other actors, so I guess there was no reason to not use it with Ben Stiller. Um, but I do kind of like how each time they come around, like they put these little windows down while they're in these gigantic closets and each time they come, ar- like they're turning them around and each time they come around to the crowd, they both go, crowd! <laughs> and then kind of <laughs> then kind of make faces while they're trapped in these closets and then they continue talking to each other through the headsets and then as they come back around they go crowd and then they keep doing that and there's a there's a little bit of them doing the same thing uh but then they kind of mess it up and then you know um tony wonders like oh no i was just, i was gonna say this and, that. and he just kind of starts mumbling and then they go crowd and then they both like and I, I like this this joke about how like obviously you know when they said same when they did it the first time they really they weren't saying same but then they started just doing it um so i like how they kind of try to do it again and it doesn't work but then job says you know you know i it's weird how we're always in sync uh, but obviously they're messing up the whole same thing but then when they go crowd they both do it at the same time and so it's almost like that's a kind of a weird callback to uh, to the to them saying same um but yeah, I, and I, I kind of like as well how, you know, the trick itself, and this will take eight more episodes, is a setup for a different trick. Um, and the funny thing is, like, while they're doing this, over the, the, like, the headsets are actually connected to the PA, so we can hear them explaining to each other the trick, which obviously <laughs> is Job's classic, like, he always accidentally gives away how the track, trick is done. Yeah. But then, you know, kind of unbeknownst to him, uh, quick crying concrete is poured into Tony's closet and that hardens and basically encasing Tony Wonder in concrete and killing him and Job can't then get back into the straight closet and now he is gay and he has to be gay in public because you know the magic has worked um, and I find it funny that like that's his excuse to commit to being gay in public is this trick um, and it's kind of interesting that this is kind of the setup for all of that. Um, uh, but I don't know. I, it's it's like, I think the whole thing about Job's sexuality from like season four and into season five is kind of interesting. Um, you know, they will kind of, I think kind of later in the season, they will kind of say that he's bi. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that they have him kind of being 
uh, kind of gay, but he, he uses the excuse of the magic trick to kind of be gay in the same way that Tony Wonder was using, you know, the gimmick of being the gay magician to be gay in public. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting because I think, you know, I think we, we kind of know that these characters are both gay. Or at the very least, bisexual. Or maybe they're just like so narcissistic that when they see someone that's like them, they're the like only two people that are like this over the top and into magic that they're just like in love with themselves. <laughs> and so they're like, so they can't tell if they're gay or not because they love this other person that's a man. But it's probably because they're so similar to them. They think they're in sync, you know? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, because I think this is probably the one kind of proper relationship that Job has in the show, you know, like True. his his relationship with Anne kind of fell apart and all his other relationships were trying to steal people that Michael was interested in. Um, and Anne was George in, Michael. <laughs> yeah. So so this is the first time he's kind of been in a relationship with somebody who he wasn't trying to steal from somebody else, uh. Uh, aside from Sally Sitwell, obviously, sure. but that's kind of <laughs> that is, in itself is mostly an inside joke. Um but yeah, so I don't know. I I, I kind of like the fact that Job is kind of left standing outside this closet being gay because he can't get back into the the, the closet. Um, and I also like that it has like a really long title, like it's the kind of you know double conversion closet trick, and and everyone keeps calling it by its full name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and we I mean you know we finished the episode with um, well with Job being gay, and then also with. Uh, Michael talking to Lottie Dottie, um, showing her the evidence, and she decides that she will release Buster because obviously, you know, she can't hold him if there's no um, evidence that the person is dead. Um, and the fact that Michael finds out that it actually turns out to be, you know, the pictures of uh, maybe and uh, George Michael as Ron and Brian. Um, and I like as well how he keeps saying Ron and Brian, and then George Michael keeps saying, go to Mexico. Um, and he keeps like adding that at the end of each kind of sentence Um, and and, uh, you know obviously Oscar escapes with Buster in the stair car and Buster chains them together (laughs) because it would be more authentic which I kind of like Um, and I do like as the escape in the stair car you hear Buster say well the crowds have really thinned out at this part of the parade route and they're just driving down a road they're not on the parade route anymore Yeah. and as well um, you know we get a little bit of a side plot I don't even know why but again you know we've got um, Murphy Brown and he gets kind of roped into being a clown even though that's not his dream Um, and Tobias obviously you know he would do that but unfortunately he's got to stand on the wall float along with debris (laughs) and so um, also, it's, it's worth saying as well, obviously, when debris knocks down the wall, what is left is a bunch of debris on the ground. Um, so, oh, yeah. again, <clears throat> a nice little inside kind of joke there. Oh, wait, um, what does and- uh, Lucille call her? Latrasha? Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, those yeah. last few teeth aren't going without a fight, are they? And debris is just like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like how everything that she would do to the real Lindsay doesn't have the same effect on debris because she doesn't quite understand, you know, like the level of meanness that's going on. She kind of doesn't yeah. realize. And it's, I don't know, it's quite fun. Um, on the next, we get maybe telling Stan that it's over. Um, and then obviously Sally comes over to see what's going on with Stan. Um, and then Tobias runs into the hospital with debris at first. Um, and I like how when he gets in, he's like, have you had these flaws done? You must have done something with these flaws. And then, you know, that when the doctor says, you know, we treat people based on urgency, he then runs out and he grabs Murphy Brown and he does the exact same thing. And he's talking about the flaws again, saying, you must have had these flaws done because they're, they're really nice. And, 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 
and that's kind of where the episode and the first half of the season ends um, is is with Murphy Brown being rushed into hospital, which is a weird place to finish the show with Tobias and Murphy Brown. Like, um, I don't know, it's a it's a weird kind of thing. Again, Murphy Brown being reluctant to be a clown and Tobias forcing him to do it is something that I don't fully understand what's going on with that storyline. Um, right, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of, you know, if you don't want to be a clown, like, don't just get dragged along and put into a clown costume. Like, just say no. Like, you're a fully grown adult. It's, I don't know, it's it's a kind of weird, uh, a weird joke. Um, but yeah. yeah, so did you, is there anything else that we need to discuss about the episode? Do you anything else that you think? Well, definitely kind of an, an inconsistent episode for me. I think the old timey part is, is like, not that funny at all, uh, you know, to go to that old timey style. But um one thing i really like is that ron howard says like the narrator says joe was beginning to wonder and that's when tony shows up even though the characters wouldn't have heard that i thought that was kind of uh cute and i also like the line where he says we could be together without branding each other's taints and he says no tainting each other's brands (laughs) (laughs) it was like he thought that was gonna like like no commitment we don't have to brand each other's taints or something yeah uh yeah, but that, and the doctor, I thought it was cool. He's one of the IT guys from The Office, the guy that played the doctor at the end. He's also in Scott Pilgrim versus the World with Michael Yeah, Sarah. he kind of calls out the tropes of the movie while it's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's where he's, that's where he's at, he knows Michael Sarah from, so um, I think... Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's why he was cast in season four, because he's the doctor in season four as well. Um, oh, okay. He was also on a sitcom on CBS where he played like this super hippie guy who was married to this person whose parents were conservative. I don't know. It wasn't a very good sitcom. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's really weird that this is kind of like the end of the first batch of eight episodes. Uh, and like you say, the old timey, the old timey stuff has one funny joke. Which is if, but like we see on the title cards in between each of the things, because obviously it's done like a silent movie with title cards, uh, where Buster says, "If I bust out, they'll give me a nickname," and he says, "Like Buster," and it's like <laughs> I like how when the narrator says something on the title cards, it has like a little caricature of Ron Howard with a with an old timey like a <laughs> cone megaphone, <laughs> yeah, like, to show that it was the narrator. So he wasn't. So, so it's weird that he says, "I'll be given a nickname like Buster," when of course Buster is already his nickname. Uh, Byron Buster Blue yeah so he already has that nickname so I don't know what he's fearful of Um, (laughs) but yeah so I mean for me I would say it was kind of a like you say yeah kind of inconsistent episode there's some fun stuff with maybe um, you know but again it seems like this whole back and forth to Mexico like every five minutes and I feel like it would take longer to get to and from Mexico Um, and then uh, there's a little less of you know Michael running around kind of holding the plot together Um, but the fact that he kind of has to step in and um, get Buster released feels a little bit kind of exposition-y like they're kind of setting up the gag that he didn't need to be broken out of jail because obviously he was just about to be released um, and also the fact that Oscar breaks him out by just literally like pulling the bars off because it's not a real prison so he can just he could have just walked out of there himself he didn't need to be broken out that's the the kind of weird thing but yeah I, I feel like the whole prison break at the end of a season using the stair car is meant to be a callback to the end of season you know um, one and two where kind of the exact same thing happened well and it's it's just so muddled because he goes to talk to the da and he says look i've got this photo to let him out and she says well he wasn't in there for murder he was in there for evidence tampering and then he says well if there's no crime how could there be tampering which is kind of like a parallel to obstruction of justice but then she also says he was already going to get out so the photo didn't have anything to do with it yeah 
And it's it's just like and but then he's also out, but he is out on this little thing. But the mom had to see the warden to get him out, but he also was about to get out anyway. And it's it's just really confusing what the stakes are for Buster just to get him out. It's kind of like letting George Senior out to be in that one pageant, except Buster's not trying to get out, and he was also going to get out. And so, like I don't know, to have that much that many plot elements without <laughs> jokes and then have none of them be important is really weird. <laughs> Well, it's funny because she says he would have been out in like three days anyway, because obviously the prison is like the, you know, the municipal buildings aren't open again until the day after the 4th of July anyway. And that's why he would be getting out on that date. So if he hadn't have come out for, if he'd have just stayed in prison for the 3rd and 4th of July, he would have been out on the 5th of July regardless. Um, and the only reason he can only be released on the 5th is because that's when the courts open up again. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's kind of a, a weird little kind of inside joke. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 find, I find it kind of this first half of the episodes to be a little bit kind of all over the place. And this episode in particular. I mean, there's a nice little callback to the Milford Academy with their marching band that basically nobody can hear. Um, and then they get into the, like, apparently they've already finished and they get into the bus and uh, the, the kind of the, the co-anchor says, well, they'll never be seen of or heard of again. Uh, which, again, is a nice little callback. But it's like, it feels a little heavy handed because they've done Milford callbacks before that we're a little bit more subtle than that. Like literally having a marching band that's making no noise is, is, and why is the audience being so quiet? Like there's no sound. It's no. like, it's not even <laughs> it's natural. It's like, it's like the end of where they do the end of like star Wars. And they take out the music and just have awkward footsteps, you know, cause no one's talking. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like a weird, a weird kind of way for them to finish. But uh, yeah. Uh, well, if there's nothing well, else, oh. well, the last thing is just that they, it's like they spent so much money on this episode to do this whole parade and stuff. And there's so many times else in the season where it's clear they didn't have a lot of money. Like, but I, I wish they hadn't spent so much money on this parade. Like, I wish they'd put it into some of these other things. Like, they're always hanging out in locations where there's no character, there's no other actors. Like, they're always like in the abandoned office building or like, I wish they'd spent more of it on extras elsewhere so it didn't feel so dead all the time whenever they're hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like we've covered this episode, so uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? I, I like uh, I'd like it if you could listen to my podcast called The Off Five about The Office. If you like that show. If you don't like that show, uh, skip it. But I really appreciate being on. And you can find us on Twitter at A Huge Mistake Pod or on Facebook at uh, I've Made a Huge Mistake. Uh, thanks once more for being my guest here, Nate. Of course. Thank you so much. And otherwise, goodbye. Goodbye forever. <laughs>